new on CuriosityStream. Grab your decoder ring. We're cracking the world's most famous encryptions. From the mom who took down the mob to the Zodiac Killer. See how the pros hide their secrets in plain sight on Cracking the Code. Plus, it was impossible to recruit intelligence agents without recruiting war criminals. Meet the retirees of the Third Reich who gathered Cold War intelligence for the U.S. on Nazis in the CIA. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. All right, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Please subscribe to the channel. Please. Hey guys, YouTube's got an algorithm and it really, really help us out a lot. If you could like, comment and subscribe, this is how we can get more information out to more people and uh, share the message of Toronto real estate. In Thanks. that order, like, comment, subscribe and hit the damn bell. Beautiful. This is this is cool, man. Do you want me to move your name? It's not happening. <laughs> I, I gotta figure out like where I need to be. Here, here, here. It's okay because nobody's really watching. It doesn't matter. Right. Ready to rock and roll? Are we ready to go? You are the only. Forget about the latest, but you are the only late guest of all time. Welcome, Ben Gom, to the show. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. Good thing we had the uh, delayed uh, or the um, daylight savings time today, right? We gained an extra hour. An hour and 26 minutes late, but what is it? Doing pretty good. Is it? Yeah, that's that's what saved me for sure. Well, so, glad you, we could save you. So let's give Ben a little introduction here. Ben Gom from Project Studio Architects. Ben is a uh, real architect. He has also been my friend since grade one. No, not real architect. No. So he's perfect for the show. Ben is joining us in studio today. Yep. We brought him in. We flew him in down to the studio just to make sure he's a special yeah. guest. It's nice. You guys did a good job here. Yeah, we got a good deal on this space. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this morning. No one wanted the space, so we subleased it. You didn't even have to sublease. You just walked in. Nobody noticed. No one was there. Space and nobody's nobody's nobody cares. Yeah, it's downtown Toronto office space. Nobody knows we're even here. Yeah, exactly. It's like a ghost town in this building. Got a cough at the front door, and everyone just clears the room. Going to the elevator. You're good. So it's great. So I've known Ben since grade one. Ben, yeah. Ben and I have been friends since then. We uh, we've been in a band together, and somehow we both kind of ended up in real estate. Ben took the architecture route, and uh, we oh. all I took the get a pounding everyday route. But uh, <laughs> it, it's been nice to have somebody that I can actually talk real estate and construction with, you know forever right who actually understood what the hell i was talking about most people only get like that kind of dinner talk version of real yeah, estate also being able to talk to someone that and i'm the same one on your side right it's like when you were talking when you're talking with someone that you have that much of a personal connection with you know that like there's no nobody's trying to pull anybody or pull everything over anybody it's just all there's no bullshit 
it's just like, all the bullshit's out on the table and um yeah absolutely yeah and it's cool so so big table i thought ben would be uh yeah big table I thought Ben would be interesting to talk to because he's got a, a different perspective than we have. So you Similar to mine, like he, he's on the development side doing, uh, I guess, do you specialize in mid-rise, you would say? Or? Yeah, yeah. That most, of the, most of the stuff we're doing and pushing is more, is more mid-rise. Um, yeah, I wouldn't even say low-rise, mid-rise stuff. I mean, the high-rise stuff is is um you know we we have a ton of experience in in doing the high-rise stuff at at other firms but as project studio architects it's it's mid-rise stuff moving forward so yeah and uh is that a space that's grown over the last few years uh yeah absolutely well i mean even even you know even recently just you know there's been a you know, there's, it's been interesting for us to see sort of in the media and the news and everything, there's been such a push for, for the missing middle. Everybody's been sort of pushing that missing middle, you know, line, but we've been seeing that, we've been seeing that for years. Um, just because, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I sort of cut my teeth on the high rise development over the last 15 years. And, you know, you see that just expand and explode. And then eventually, you know, people started to catch on that there was an actual missing middle. There was a there was a mid-rise sort of missing link in there that that they've you know, people have now started to address. So we just you know we're just finishing up completion uh, construction on a, a 144 unit condo building um, out in Hamilton, a 60 that's a four story building, another four story 64 unit rental in Barrie. So you're seeing a lot more of that that sort of stuff. So, um, Is that mid-rise to- four stories? Four stories, a hundred and something units. Wow, that's a big piece so of property, right? Well, it's huge. Yeah, it's a four-story. It's one hundred and forty-four units. Yeah, so it's, it's spread a, out. Yeah, it's really, really spread out. So, yeah, I mean, listen, I think, I think that's a good. I think that's a good question, actually, right? Like, I think, you know, when you have and there's there's a lot more projects like that, right? So technically, a four-story building you wouldn't necessarily consider as a, as a mid-rise building, but when you're talking about know under over uh, you know 100 units in a building like that then yeah you know it's, it's more of a it's more of a number they call that a low rise and say this is a small development this is now right yeah what do they right. build it out of is it built out of wood no no this one is a super super interesting building actually it's a, it's 100% precast it's a total precast building oh you showed me this building did, uh, yeah yeah that we did with uh with Korslav and yeah, I mean, super crazy, super, super innovative and progressive, but like very challenging project to work on. Very, very What's challenging. The benefits, like, why would someone choose to go that way other than just like? I mean, it's it's the same. You know, people people sort of have this. In in, in I mean, and I've seen it over my my professional career, and even in schools, you see this sort of cyclical nature of people pushing a prefab or, you know, prefabricated elements or pre, you know, precast concrete. So, I mean, these, these notions actually aren't new at all, right? Like prefabrication and stuff has been around for a hundred years, right? Like if you walk through the city of Toronto, all the old Victorian homes that you see in the annex, those are actually homes that were, you know, bought from a catalog that were shipped over in boxes and pieces that you just assembled and put together. So, you know, right from the get-go, the idea was that you could get it, sort of the ikea model right like if you get if you're 
if you're producing them in bulk in a controlled environment, you can get them for cheaper. And the, the main, the main um, pro element is always, you know, that you can build it so much, so much quicker. Um, but the reality is, you know, when you when you come to 2021, and again, I'm just finishing up this project that was, if anything, it took like a little bit longer just because there's so much, people forget that there's so much more focus on the front end of those projects that, yeah, by the time we got to construction, it went up super quick. It went up really quick. And we were talking like, I mean, it was the largest Lego set I've ever got to play with and put together. But and you have to uh, plan every aspect of it before. But, but I mean, not just plan, I mean, the level of detailing that every aspect, I mean, you can imagine, right? Like if you were, you know, I imagine both of you guys, when you were kids put together, I wouldn't even say Lego because Legos, Legos less not precise. Even, it's, it's, it, Lego can be less precise. It's more like if you ever built like one of those car models or airplane model or whatever you were a kid and you get three quarters of the way through and you're like oh man i glued that one piece backwards that's totally screwed out like i can't get the wheels in now right so it's more akin to that whereas lego you can just sort of pop it off and move it back in but uh but this was more like you know if you glued a piece in backwards you're screwed like yeah. big time right so there's so much more time and energy and effort spent on the front end so at the end of the day, not only did we not come out with this thing getting built quicker, it it it, it even took a little bit longer. Probably cost accurate. more too, over budget. Well, we we're we're, just, we're sort of waiting for those final numbers to come in. Um, but uh, I think cost-wise, they might have done okay. They might have actually sort of come in where they were expecting to come in, or. So maybe somewhere in theory, right in theory when people are putting these plans together they're like wow we're going to save time on labor yeah. we're going to save time on materials we're going to have yeah. this project done interest payments man we're going to save a million bucks and then yeah. when it's all said and done it's probably not the savings oh no, like before, every other project because well, everybody, that's every that's project manager is trying to save money and, and that's one of the ways that they come it's up. too new they that's haven't it, yeah. figured so it I'm out yet and they haven't like um what's the word i'm looking for like they, we need more robots we need more robots 100 million percent we need more robots but we need everything to be oh what's the word i'm thinking of like uh uh everybody has to be using the same kind of module sizes right so that you can get economies of scale. Not only, not standardized. Only, not Everything has to get standardized. Yeah. And that's that's the tricky thing is that like, to standardize something. I mean, putting this building together made me appreciate even more how the hell a company like IKEA could actually come into fruition and actually become as popular and as because it's all about that. It's all about, you know, the more the more technology we get, the harder it is to standardize because the easier it is for everybody to just go off and do their own thing because there's a million different programs and there's a million different methodologies and there's a million, you know, so to get everybody on board. So not just, not really just in terms of the actual physical pieces with, but this project was really tricky, tricky because, you know, we're doing, we do everything in Revit and Revit is, you know, a, 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 an architectural drafting program, but it's not, you're not working in, in 2D lines, you're actually building the actual 3D model as you're going through. And, you know, so in theory, if everybody was using Revit, 
then I could have just taken the precast model, bring it, brought it into my model, taken the mechanical model, brought it into my model, and just been able to see any of the, the, the red flags and conflicts. But because everybody was on a different technology and software, it just wasn't, you know. It, so, so again, it's like these concepts of prefabrication and all that, like they've been around for a hundred years, but like, it's always the same problem. It's always the same problem of like, we're not working in a totally homogenous thing. Like, like where prefab, where prefab could probably really work well is in Russia or China. And that's why when you go to China and you see Just buildings blocks of buildings. Yeah. Seas of the same buildings. A, they all look exactly the same and B they were all built in, you know, like a 14 story building is built in 10 months, you know, and people are like, like I was Eight there, of them. I, I, I spent a lot of time in China and I was there when they were building the Three Gorges Dam. And one of the studies that I went there to go assess was. Were you the engineer towns, that stamped it? No, but we, we were there to sort of <laughs> analyze the social you aspect. Saw the project. We give you $50 so, to stamp this. Yeah, exactly. No, but when you go around and you see, oh, they're building a city to house the people that we had to that we had to relocate because of the dam. I and mean, we're not just talking like a little village of whatever. We're talking a city of like 500,000 people or a million people. And it's being built in like 10 months. You know, like walk, I, you know, I walk out onto the streets and it's like, it was like a movie set. You know, it's like in 10 months, they had built this city. I mean, we're talking like roads, traffic lights, buildings, but nobody was there yet. Nobody was there to occupy this place yet, right? So. So that, that's really, you know, the type, you know, that's who can sort of really take advantage of these, these types of you know, methodologies for construction, I find that. I've got a cool uh, China story quickly, because I'm not the yeah. architectural yeah. expert here. So there's a temple, a Buddhist temple in uh, Bethany, and mm. uh, years ago, so I was about 19, and uh, I was getting my real estate license at the time, and I was helping a guy doing some like labor and stuff up there, so I kind of became familiar with the site. And I drove by last summer because it's all completed now. And they did, um, so we're going back 15 years ago when they started and they built a temple that's 10 plus thousand square feet, all made out of wood with no Ooh. nails or screws or glue. Mm, and right. they sit in China and they came and each piece just fits puzzle, 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 puzzle on top of this hill, no nails, yeah. screw or glue. Wow. Yeah. But still, that's pretty impressive. Like, I, would, I wouldn't want to be on the second floor though. <laughs> no, it's nice. I'm sure it's great, but I would stay on the ground floor. Yeah, well, but I mean, but do that because everybody's on the same page. Listen, for better or for worse, we know what that means if we're on the same page. You right? better be on the same page, right? Exactly. I mean, like, in, you know, that's in a communist country, everybody's on the same page. So, but when you want to talk construction and methodology of construction, especially when you want to talk about prefabrication and all of those types of construction methodologies like that's where it really that i mean but now all they're doing way. like like when you take a typical point tower now i mean everybody's building the same building it's just like now they're doing wavy weird balconies like if you go to young and bluer it's like it's all the same yep. building it's just different balconies so why couldn't they standardize the construction of the the, the point tower portion at the very least and throw that thing up quick because you're not talking about standardizing the, the actual building method, right? You're talking about standardizing way deeper than that. Like we're talking, you know, when you're building a building at, at Young and Bloor, you're dealing with like 
unionized workers and this, and then this trade has got to do with it, you know, every, you know what I mean? Like that, that's what has to get, or not has to, but that's what ends up being standardized in a, in a, in a controlled environment um, where it's like, everybody just comes in and is doing exactly what they're told to do. Um, yeah. if, they, if they brought people in from China, so this temple, they brought obviously everyone over here to do it. Would you buy the condo at Young and Bloor where they said it was going to be made in China and assembled here? I mean, is that going to be the building that you're going to want to invest your money in? I think that the stigma in North America is that that building may not be up to code, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough transition to make, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, that's all just sort of hypothetical. They're, they're, they're getting there slowly, like with houses, you know, first with trusses, they started to engineer and mass produce them. And then they got into like floor systems and now they're starting to do wall panels and they're, they're getting yeah. there. It's just, it's like, it's, 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 definitely, it's definitely getting there. Right. But it's, but every time something's tried, you realize that like, look, that building that we did up in Barry, it wasn't, it wasn't totally dissimilar. Right? Like we didn't just do regular stick frame construction we actually did a prefabricated metal stud exterior panel like exterior wall panel right so the, so again everything was prefabricated um and again everything had to be done there was so much time and effort done um on the front end because it's like you know if you screwed up a window placement it, it, like in regular regular construction you could just be like oh let's just 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 move everything over by by um, three eighths of an inch or half an inch or an inch or whatever it is. But here it's like, you couldn't do it. It was this prefabricated panel that was already, everything was already done. Not only were the studs in, but everything was sandwiched in and whatever. So that when there was a problem that came up with one of the, you know, you know, for the exterior condition, whether it was windows or penetrations or whatever, it caused major massive nightmares on site because it was like, okay, we can't, we can't just, shift that over right like everything's you know so what was the what was the biggest most expensive craziest mistake that you've ever been involved with like i remember one time you called me and you were heading i want to say to markham to to a big big developer's project and like the garage parking was off like the ramp and the height i don't remember what it was but i remember you telling me it was like a gigantic concrete problem. Yeah, well, you got a you got a really good memory. I mean, I, I think it's the same one, but it was building up in Markham, um, and uh, I won't say the, the the architecture firm or the developer, or whatever. But it was a building up in Markham. We, I mean, luckily this was just a it was it was a decorative precast concrete element, and you know someone had just sort of miscalculated when it was a I mean, it was a chunk of concrete that was collectively i don't know maybe 70 feet long as it sort of wrapped around the building how many um it was like 70 70, 70. Feet long. okay 70 or yeah. it was a, i mean it was it was different chunks it was a it was a decorative element that was 70 feet okay. long I got it. and it was yeah. in different chunks or whatever but the whole thing was miscalculated um and i just happened to mean i was working you know construction administration on the job so you go up and you sort of you get the call that like yeah this this piece is is you know this is you know a two hundred thousand dollar piece of concrete or whatever it was and it's just it's not going to fit so who's going to 
who's going to fit that fit that bill, right? So, so I went up there and learned, um, you know, every Italian swear word that is known to man because I was just getting yelled and screamed at on on site. Why was it your fault? It's not my not my fault personally, but when you show up and you're the arc, you know, you're representing the architect, and then you know the cranes there and everything, everything's there to put this whole piece in place, and it's just not. And someone just completely miscalculated you know, the, the size of this thing and the placement of this thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's my job to be the representation of the architect on site. So I'm the one who got yelled at. And, uh, yeah. I can only imagine the kind of mistakes they get, like, buried or hidden or, or just have to be dealt with on some of these projects. Like, when, when, I, when I look at just building one house, the amount of times, yeah. like, if I was the guy in charge, people would just pull me over and go, uh, Hey, what do you what do you think we should do about this? And I'm like, yeah. well, why the hell is this even a thing right now? Like, this isn't yeah. on the plan. Yeah. What? what how is this whole thing built like this? Right? Yeah. And it's always oh, just yeah. constantly like, figuring I, out, like, how do we deal with this human error, and how do we deal yeah. with this human oh, error? I mean, I've I've dealt with like, actually, I think it might have even been the same. It might have even been the same development actually but you know when they started going they miscalculated it was it was it was a long it was a long floor plate it was just a you know long double double loaded floor plate and they started measuring from one from one side and right off the bat they misread a calculation by let's call it three or four inches like one guy measured it to the outside of the wall as opposed to the inside of the wall where you're supposed to measure you know and then as he was going through, he was doing that same miscalculation all the by the time you got to the end of this, you know, however however many however however long footplate it was, I mean it was like they were basically they had chopped off an entire suite by the time they got to the end of that thing, because the calculations just added up wrong, 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 wrong. So yeah, I mean those are like major, major mistakes. You know, the good thing about that is that they were just they were just taping it down. They were just marking out where all these suites were they didn't actually start to frame this thing if they were to start framing it it would have been like somebody was smart enough to go hold on a sec something (laughs) doesn't make (laughs) sense yeah yeah why is there a big huge sliding glass door in my bathroom yeah uh, something's wrong something why are we putting a fridge in here yeah that happens all the time even on this last one in you know in in Hamilton, the problem the problem in Hamilton was they started production on these on these these concrete pieces. And I'm talking like when I say these, it's like if you go to Course Lab, they've got like I don't know, it's got to be a hundred acres or fifty acres, you know. And when you go to their their operation, it's just like Lego pieces, just like massive chunks of concrete in different forms. There's columns and beams and and connecting pieces, whatever and so they just start producing these things. Um, and then as they started producing them, we, I picked up a couple of major conflicts that, you know, we had like, you know, we had a whole row of suites that all of the bathrooms were lined up directly underneath these massive meter deep beams. We're like, we need to, <laughs> we need to get to, we need to get to those beams before they actually build them. We need to sleeve those beams before they build them. Cause once they build them, that's it. You know, we're talking like tens of thousands of dollars per beam that would have to get just scrapped and, and replaced or whatever. So it was like this race for time to like 
get to those get to those conflicts before they actually started casting the beams and casting the, the these these massive architectural structural components so so is, is that is that 50 acres full of mistakes probably they're waiting for it's like uh, a graveyard I mean, yeah, a concrete yeah. graveyard. So I mean, listen, there's 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 always going to be mistakes and conflicts and whatever. So common pieces that people order. Ben, Ben, yeah. how is how have things changed since COVID? What's new in your world over the last year? So in our world, I gotta be honest. You know, thank God and knock on knock on wood. But like, and I'm sure you know, I'm sure a lot of the guys that you talk to would say the same thing. Like from day one. It's like the entire construction and architectural and building industry was like COVID. What? Yeah, great. I like I got I've I'm too busy to even worry about COVID, right? So it just didn't seem like it slowed down at all. Everybody I know in the real estate industry, I mean mostly in sort of Toronto and the single family residential stuff, they're like, This is the this is the craziest year we've ever had and then you know and, um, so in terms of real estate, in terms of building, right? Because right from the get-go, I mean, my my two sites were already well under construction when we started into COVID. So that was, you know, one of the saving graces that there were, you know, the, the regulation said, if you already have a permit, go ahead. Where I did, did obviously see a, a major massive change was on-site itself, right? So going on-site and especially onto these large construction sites, um, I was on, you know, the Hamilton one and I'll give a shout out to Star Wars Homes here because they were, I mean, phenomenal. They went above and beyond. I mean, you know, everything from just like pump stations with stuff at like literally every single floor, every single door, every single entry, security on site to make sure that people are probably, you know, getting properly temperature and checked before they come. So they, they, they really, really respected the, the process and it, it benefited them because it worked really smoothly and workers could be comfortable and know um, that they were coming onto a site that was a safe site. I was, you know, obviously on some other job sites that were just total nightmares. You know, you show up and there's like 20 guys up on a roof. Not one of them has a mask. They're all sort of huddled together because uh, we're going into, you know, fall and winter framing and the whole thing. And, um, so I saw some, some super sketchy stuff, but you, you definitely saw the guys who took it seriously. It actually benefited them, uh, in the end. Um, so yeah, but in terms of the work itself, like I didn't see like nothing slowed down. If anything, things ramped up. So what, what about costs though? Like, right. Like different things that people hadn't maybe locked in those prices yet, or they had to make changes oh, yeah. that affecting the projects. Huge, huge. I, you know, I had a couple I had one house project that, you know, this couple was actually living overseas. They were living in Sweden and they bought the house here site unseen. And we started, you know, I was, you know, the whole time for the year before COVID, you know, I was working on a design with them going through, we came up with the whole design. And then right before COVID, we were expecting to have our committee of adjustment date. Um, that's sort of a, a, a long answer. The, the short answer is everything ended up getting pushed, pushed back and pushed back. So the whole project got pushed back a good year and we're just at the point now where we're, we just finished committee of adjustment. We're going into pricing and the pricing is like, you know, way above what they were originally prepared to pay. Right. So, and what and percentage did you say? What percentage did you say? Um, I mean, at least 15, 20% 
increase on prices, right? And then lumber alone is like a hundred percent more. The problem is that I'm finding that a lot of that, at least half of that is legit, and the other half is sort of like, you know, because I check, I know the 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 price of lumber has gone up, right? But the price of lumber hasn't tripled, right? So, but why has the it's double? Why it has, but not not from the the big suppliers, yeah. Right. Well, and it's also I'm finding that the guys, you know, the construction industry itself is sort of taking advantage of the fact that you know because it's like there's not enough trades there's no labor so they're gonna they're, they're do the swamp. job that pays them the most yeah yeah that's it right so they're super swampy you know and it's I'm, I'm especially seeing where you can really see it is when you come down to smaller jobs you can see that jump up a lot quicker so i'm actually pushing through um it's going to be launching hopefully this week uh i'll keep you guys posted on that um but i've got my own uh, project studio architects i have my own laneway house initiative that you know because and it, and it derives from like you know i was a major and still am a major advocate of laneway houses and the laneway house initiative that toronto has pushed through but when i started going around and asking all other architects and especially contractors okay well how much is this going to cost and they're telling me basically prices that were you know between six and eight hundred bucks a square foot to build these things and i'm like well that that's that's insane that's ridiculous right so i've i've devised a a laneway house initiative of my own that actually involves shipping containers as as my as my form so i mean that's that's the full circle right so we've if we well, then this, take, this can take us right back to our idea of like prefabrication and how and how it can actually in, in my case the numbers that I'm getting back now are actually massively beneficial. Like I I'm hopefully going to be able to come in at like half the price of what these other you know what these other language houses are getting built as just pure stick frame um, building right and the, the amount of time it's going to take is like at least half the time right so. But again, I understand that like this isn't a new notion. This isn't a this is something that's been around for a hundred years. But like, you know, shipping containers is actually a perfect example of like here's something that could that could actually really work, right? It's not just sort of a a, a, a just a pie in the sky notion. Like it's something that technically it should work. I should be able to get these shipping containers here and then have a construction crew come in and frame the inside or just finish the inside, not frame really, just finish the inside and it should it should work so the numbers i'm coming back are, are really really good and really promising and yeah we're super excited so we're looking to launch something hopefully as early as next next week or a soft launch as, as early as next week so okay yeah. so right now in the news what we're hearing about is uh condo buyers are looking for more space so we know that people are kind of fleeing the city uh looking for more space but this article in particular is talking about condo buyers. So have you seen like designs changing from a design perspective of the interior of suites or houses as a result of like work from home or, or the need for more space or are people? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the prop, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Like I'm, you know, the, the single family homes I'm designing right now, like that's almost, you know, whereas a couple of years ago, even two or three years ago, I mean, you know, I get all my clients to write down sort of three different tiers of wish lists. And the first wish list is, is your just basic. It's like, how many bedrooms, 
you know, how many bathrooms, you know, kitchen, you know, so just your, your, your basic checklist. But now even in that basic checklist, it's like home office is like right at the top. It's like, we need four bedrooms and a, and a, and a real home office. I don't want just sort of like, Oh yeah, I can sort of just put a desk at the, in the, the seating, the sitting room at the front of the house and sort of work in there. It's like, no, no, no serious home office consideration like serious i mean it's like heavy duty stuff and uh real planning and designing around that so in the single family i'm seeing that for, for one person six- office or multi-people office in the house yeah no definitely definitely multiple multiple right so the one that the one that i'm cubicles cubicles well, the one that, you know especially for the, this couple that was uh that was coming in from from sweden right so i mean we we took over the whole, the whole third floor. Like we're occupying the, the attic space, and it's literally just for two completely separate offices that they're going to be working from, um, and that sort of thing. But I mean, that was that was so much their focus. I mean, they they wanted to focus on that more than than the, the bedrooms. The bedrooms were sort of just residuals. It's like, yeah, a bedrooms a bedroom. Like you know, it's a place where we're going to go sleep. But like the offices are are very very important. Like that's how we are going to live right like that's that's just the new reality so um so that's that's in the single family the other thing that we're finding in the single family again is like you know there's only so much room that people have in in these homes especially urban urban homes and urban conditions right so that's where another big push for the laneway house initiative has come from right like people saying well i don't necessarily need in the laneway house to rent out but like to have that as a separate office space is uh that's becoming a huge thing, you know, so especially because people love the idea. I'm like this. I can't work from home. I can't just roll out of bed and go and and just go downstairs or go into an office and work like I actually have to put pants on and leave my house. And even if it's so like leave my house and just go across the yard to, to a, a building in my backyard is is so key. And I I get that. But other people are, are the same way. They need to yeah. sort of feel like they're in a separate space. So um yeah i, I don't that's know a really good perspective actually to to say that because that's what i think a lot of people are dealing with right now and going back yeah. to the office is mostly the only option people have so if you had a garden suite laneway house whatever you want to call it that yeah. would actually solve that whole uh, work from home issue you wouldn't have to move so right? yeah you exactly. didn't have to move and sell your house a hundred thousand dollars in fees and taxes and all that stuff yeah you hire Ben, you build a garden suite or a laneway house. I know the garden suites they're working on right now still, but you get, you yeah. get a new, like a, a separate structure on your property and you work yeah. from there. So and yeah. you probably have a rental suite in it too. So, but the yeah, real, you got have your office down on the ground floor, a rental suite up on top. And yeah, yeah I mean, there's a million different combinations, right? So, uh, and we're, we're, we're really seeing it in, in buildings and whether it's what you want to call it, mid rise or high rise or whatever it is, but, it's all coming. It's not coming from the suites themselves. I mean, the suites themselves have already gotten, developers have already gotten so used to the fact that like, let's just squeeze as much as we can. When I first started, you know, in this, in, in working on high rise in my first architectural office that I worked at, you know, a typical one bedroom, one plus 10 or whatever, we're talking like, it was like 700 square feet, 750 square feet. That's now a three like, bedroom now. It's like you can squeeze a three bedroom into 700 square feet. So developers aren't, aren't going there yet. Developers aren't saying, well, let's go back to, you know, the thousand square foot or the 1200 square foot. They're not, they're not yes. doing that. But what they are doing is they're saying, I mean, 
we put a gym in the, the amenities or we put a li library is a better example, right? So we, typically the party room was always got used. The gym always got used. Stuff like the library and the meeting rooms and those things, those things never really seem to get used. So those are turning into like, I'd rather have like an, an office space, like, a, like a, an amenity space where you go in and there's sort of a whole bay of separate little offices or whatever, something that people can go down and, and work and use in that yep. building, right? Yep. So, yeah, so that that's where we're seeing it de develop, and and that's a true that's a true thing, right? I mean, like in the past, we've put in wine rooms, we we put in stuff that was sort of like it was meant to just look cool, but we sort of knew that like no one's really ever going to use this. This is sort of it's sort of for show, but um, but now we're getting into nitty gritty. Now it's like wow. Well, before. Before you were mandated an amount of amenity space and you were trying to make it as cheap as possible because you knew it wasn't really a selling feature, people were buying right. regardless. But now right. it's becoming a selling feature and people have to put a little bit more creativity into it, right? A little bit yeah. more thought yeah. into it. But the problem, yeah. the real problem underlying all of this is that we have no supply. We are in a supply crisis. We're in a pricing bubble simultaneously. I guess one leads to the other. And yeah. okay, so what we're learning from you right now is that there is no level of standardization or uh, efficiency at the moment that will help us out of this situation. We already know humans are idiots, so they're not going to be able to speed things up. So what yeah. is the answer to the shortage of, the su of supply when we're pushing the demand like demand has no choice right now. It's got one way to go. I know TK says, you know, something can happen and maybe it yeah. will, but no matter what happens after that, we're going to still be in a supply crisis, right? For sure. Yeah. Ten so, year time frame. We don't have enough. Yeah. So, so enough yeah. well, uh, listen, I think, I, I think there, you can, you can sort of answer that with, you know, the holistic answer is that like there's a million different things that need to get done and that should get done or whatever. Where where I think that, you know, and Toronto has just sort of proved it, right? So you have a problem. We've got a we've got a shortage of product, whether you want to call it well, in this case it was sort of a rent rental product, right? So what did Toronto do? Toronto finally got off its ass and it said, We're gonna push an initiative for laneway house initiative right there. So right there that shows you that you know, and it's like what I was talking about before with the, with, you know, with China and Russia, it's like the more that you can get it back to non-construction, non, non-purely construction answers, right? It has to go further. It has to go to like policies and, you know, that, that level, right? So, you know, if, if, if you can get to the level where the, where the, the powers that be are pushing the initiative and they're pushing pro-development and they're taking away a lot of the restrictions and a lot of the red tape and the whatever, it's still insane. It's still red tape, right? So like, I'm still, like, like, you know, there's the, the Langley House initiative is a perfect example of like how they said, let's do this. We're going to push it forward. And that right off the bat should help explode and help the, the, the rental market in Toronto. But then you still have things like, how is you know, that going to help adding 10, laneway houses into the mix no i'm just i'm, I'm saying that if you want to if you want to take the example of just purely rental rental um you know rental opportunities or rental markets in the city 
that's a that's a small example that shows that when the government gets involved and pushes pro-development initiatives, it's something that can can happen. This is this is happening. It's happening quick. It's only going to happen faster. But most of the uh, people that have a laneway, they don't give a shit. They don't want to build a laneway space. Like what? They can't per- afford to do it. Or th- whether they can or they can't, they don't need it. They don't want it. They don't give a fuck. No, like, what percentage no. of people are actually doing it? I think massive amount of percent of people are doing it and have the, you know, there's so many people out there that have the potential. The problem is, is what TK just said, right? The problem is that, you know, all the architects and developers and contractors who wanted to jump on this thing right out of the gate, they're pricing these things at 600, 800 bucks a square foot. It's like someone's making a shitload of money and it doesn't need to, that's what's scaring everybody off. Is that like for, I'm going to pay $500,000 for a 20 by 20 foot space in my backyard. Like I'm not doing that. Right. But if I could borrow $250,000 for the bank at 1.9% or 2% and rent that space out for 2,200 bucks a month, that I'll do that all day long. And I don't even have to have any cash, you know, you know, free cash to sort of throw down on that. That's just all money that I can borrow from the bank knowing that like, that's a, that's a good investment. Dropping two hundred fifty thousand dollars on a laneway house is a good investment. But Dropping seriously, how, on a how many people are going to do it though? Seriously, I think I I think and hope a lot of people are going to do it. Right? What's a lot though? A thousand a year? I think, how many houses qualify, Ben, in Toronto? I think I think they said that there. I, I I don't remember the exact number. Like I, I can't remember if it's there's two. I think there's two thousand. 2,000 laneways or there's 2,000 sort of kilometers worth of laneway um, in the city of Toronto. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the numbers are there. The numbers are huge, right? So I think there's, I think there's uh, like 1.3 million households in Toronto. So I'm sure the number laneway houses that qualify, it's like not more than 50,000. Even if it's right? 250,000, it's the percentage of those that give a fuck. That's what I right? mean. So, so yeah. I mean, it will make a dent, but I think ten thousand is a max. I think ten thousand. All I'm all I'm saying is that if you take just taking laneway housing as an example of how like five years ago it didn't exist. Five years ago, if I wanted to do it a, a laneway house, it was a total pain in the ass. Not only did I have to go to committee of adjustment, but it was so yeah. not known. It was like you know, everybody at the city would be like, well, I don't even really know how to deal with this. And there's really no bylaws to address whatever. But what I'm saying is that the city got together, recognized that there's something to do here. They pushed, they wrote an entirely new set of bylaws to address this, pushed it forward. And now it's there. How long so did that take? What I'm, saying is that on a, what I'm saying is that on a small scale, that's proven that that's an initiative that works, push it forward. And, and see how it goes, right? So, guinea so, so pig project. Guidelines, more guidelines will help. So, what do you think? Right, They're going to do it on a bigger scale now. Uh, I mean, it's 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 definitely worth looking at, and they, and it's stuff they have been working at, right? Like, so over the over the last ten years, it's like how many different you know variations and combinations of like development charges and this and that. And it's gone back and forth, and you sort of eliminated the OMB, but then brought in TLAB and this and that. Yeah, so it's like. You know, there's a lot of sort of push and pull and and, and working, but so what's the ideal know. scenario for you to get more available stock quicker? What's your solution, Ben? What's, what is the answer? Know. 
people How come here create more supply out there like eight what do we do eight to 12 people come here for the answer every at least week. eight to 12 well hold on it's been 45 minutes so there's about five or six now there's only oh, about six. three left so we all uh, want to know all five of us i don't know unfortunately i don't i don't know if i i don't know if i have the answer in i don't know sense, if ben but... thinks along those lines like ben's in his pocket you know he's not worried about the economy he's not worried about the supply he just wants to design no, I mean, spaces I... for people what do you mean? more supply more buildings he's designing yeah, yeah no, he's it's a anything over the the last couple of years of me working with them, it's that, you know, I'm, I, I, I do think, and I am sort of passionate about the non-architectural elements, right? Like I'm fascinated by the development, but not only the development, but just sort of the, the, the overall process and how you can get hung up. Look, like the, the you know, the projects that I'm working on with Daryl, we're getting sort of, we're getting feedback from the city that's just like, Really? Like I, I thought we were done with all this stuff. It's just a lot of, you know, it's a lot of stuff that that should just be eliminated and should be just pushed through. And right? Am I am I right, Daryl? Yeah, I mean, we, we know what how Daryl feels about this. You know, this. I, I feel like I feel like a a permit application is like one of those ducks. I, don't, I need something like listen here. I'll give you, you know, a, I'll like give you that a you have to shoot at that goes back and forth, and it's like. Try and get I'll, me I'll here. Try and perfect, get me here. I'm over here right perfect, now. Here I am. Come perfect example. It's not. It's not a. It's not a solution or an answer. It's actually another uh, furthering furthering the question, right? So my firm, Project Studio Architects, we actually come from Humphreys Partners Canada, which is a massive architecture firm in the states, based in Dallas, Texas. They've got they've got offices in twelve different cities all over the states. Um, and they specialize in purpose-built rental and student housing. So they thought, you know, this is, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, they thought, wow, we've got to tap into the Canadian market. We're not in there yet. We've got to tap into it, you know, because you're looking and, you know, you look at Toronto and Toronto is like the number one building market in the world. It's, we've got more towers and more cranes up than, than Chicago and Mexico City and, and Shanghai, like anywhere in the world. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case, but seven, no, seven eight years ago, that was, that was for sure the case seven, eight years ago. Still. So they get into the Canadian market, and right off the bat, they're blown away at like, how, I'm sorry, how long? How long it's, is it going to take to get this? Just until the, until the time I get through a shovel in the ground, it's going to take four years for me to get a shovel in the ground? Like in the States, it's like, oh, I need a building. Call up an architect. Okay, let's let's do the permits. Let's send it into the city. We'll do a little bit of this and that, but... Basically, in a year and a half to two years, you got a shovel in the ground and you're building and you go, right? Does the architect so, get the same kind of a fee in the States as he does here in Canada? I mean, even architects in Canada don't even get the same fee as they do from one job to the other or one typology to the other, right? So I think it's, I think it's sort of generally the same anywhere where it's... It's sort of all over the place. There's no regulation as to no, but what that fee. So, like, if if a permit process in the states takes six months to a year, and here it takes three years, are you guys both getting paid the same amount of money, even though it yeah. takes three times as long here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that and that's why that's why Mark Humphreys is driving, you know, flying around in his in his private jet. And uh, you know, I don't know if you could find any architects in Canada who are flying around in their own private jet, but you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the main reason why it's because 
we take our fee and our fee is sort of spread over five years and his fee spread over a year and a half, right? So, um, but basically the end of that story is that after five years, they got so fed up with the process in Canada, but mostly in Toronto and in Ontario. They were just like, we're out of here. They just, they, they, they packed up and, and, and they packed up shop and closed their shop and moved on and, and that was it, right? So, um, so I mean, that's a, that's a true telltale. That's an actual, I, I lived that experience tale of like, you know, how the process works here in, in Canada and in Ontario and in Toronto specifically, that it's just, it's just way too regulated and regulated just for regulation's sake. Like, you know, most of the times you'll go through these developments, like what I'm going through with Daryl and you're sort of shaking your head. Like, what, why do I have to send my plans in four different times to get four completely different answers to run to sort of circle through and go through four different hoops for, for what? Like, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Oh, these none, are, of these it are intelligent. none of it makes sense. Right. And we're all intelligent people asking these questions that like, we know when something doesn't make sense, you know, we, we, we're not anarchists. We understand that like there has to be a process in place and we have to go through certain measures okay that's fine but like you know um so i mean that's that's in canada i think that's just an entire ontario i can speak to ontario and toronto because i've never done work in other provinces but i mean that's just always going to be the case you know i think that's just always going to be the barrier to what you guys are asking and how do we how do we, in, in, you know, increase the, the amount, increase the load? And... I think I think one day there was a boardroom meeting down down at the at the city center downtown Toronto, and they were all like, you know what? I think I think a really great way to speed up the the process for for building permits, I think we should add something called a pre consultation meeting into the mix, and we should have a a meeting before the meetings. <laughs> Just yeah. to iron out and add, you know, some certainty and clarity to this process. Just to speed right. things up a little. Yeah. And and I don't think that that idea worked, but it was implemented. And it is a thing. A pre-meeting to the pre-meeting, maybe, is what yeah. we're missing. But yeah, it's crazy. Listen, you, you, we are, you and me, I mean, everybody is, but, like, we're, we're, we're living that right now, right? Like, it's like we go to the go to the pre-meeting and again i'm not an anarchist right but when someone tells me something that is just so completely off the wall and so like what 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 are you talking about you know and we we sort of question that and it's not even like that pre-consultation or the pre-pre it's not like it sped anything up or sped up a process or or helped us along or filtered us through any any quicker it's like it's been it's been dragging on and on and on. And every time we submit, we get a completely different answer from someone completely different. And then, you know, next time you go in for your, to, for that next meeting, it's like, oh, well, this guy's, he's not even here anymore. He retired. So we're, we're going to review this thing all from the beginning. I mean, so listen, it's stuff that everybody can, can relate to and goes through every single time they're dealing with the city, whether you're working on a 40 story tower or a two story addition on the back of your house. It's just, it's, if there's one thing that is, you know, homogenous and consistent the way that we would like it to be in China, Russia, it's the ineptitude of the, the, the city and the city process of, of, of how they run through things, right? It's just, you know that every time you submit, I, I mean, I warn my clients every time. It's like, as soon as we submit 
anything. We submit a, a house plan into the city, whether it's for zoning or committee of adjustment. As soon as it goes into the city, it's like anything can happen. It's a total like mystery it's in box. The abyss. The Bermuda Triangle. You take it. You take it. Now you carry it over to him and make it look like you're working for about 12 minutes and then you carry it over to her and wave it around a little bit and then go back to the front desk. Yeah. I mean, that's it. And that's like, so I tell my, listen, I tell my clients, I'm like, listen, why do you think it is that every time you call someone up from the city, if I want to call up, if I am my zoning review, if it says, oh, John Smith did this great so i call up john smith from the city why do you think every single time it'll say a different name you know when they're calling back or if i'm calling it'll say oh i'm calling john smith's phone but it says uh rory mcgillicuddy it's because you know it's like a turnover from department to department to this and that they don't even have time to like change the names on on the phones it's so sort of all over the place and up and down and all 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 through whatever right so that's just sort of a microcosm of how the entire process works and that goes from a laneway house to a two-story addition to a full new house build to a mid-rise to a 40-story tower it's, and it, it's, it almost maybe, takes the same process and amount of time to do a laneway house as it does to do a high-rise building yeah i mean it can be right like so but i mean there's photos of hope right so i mean look i've been working as an architect in toronto for for just over 15 years. And the Laneway House Initiative was the first one, the first idea or concept that I saw that at least showed me that the city was sort of listening and understanding that like, whoa, oh, oh, it's, oh, we need to do something. Oh, okay. Oh, everybody's been waiting for us to do something. Okay, well, let's do something. So they did it. You know, that's besides the fact that I've now got issues with the bylaws that they did write and they just whipped it, whipped it together so quickly that there's so many sort of, you know, black holes in that the bylaw as is. But I definitely appreciate the gesture of like, let's do something, let's implement it, let's push it forward and let's be pro-development. Pro not, pro not only is it an abyss, but it's an abyss with black holes in it. Like this is not yeah. getting better. So it's they, need a, more, they need more staff. That's what they need. Staff would be really good. And you know what? The unemployment the rate, although, you know, unemployment went down significantly or up, I guess, depending on how you read those numbers. But the, the, num the percentage is lower of mainly part-time workers. But uh, there's a lot of people that would probably be able to help with, with these. There are some pretty mindless tasks involved in planning so it doesn't really need yeah. to be a planner yeah, or a well, license well it takes it takes no no that that's actually where you're wrong it's like why would i i feel much better you know why why doesn't the city for example it's like i know so many small tiny even one-man show architecture firms out there where they're sort of slogging along they're trying to find work and they're trying to find work and trying to find work i would so much rather trust my zoning review to a licensed architect who's running a one-man show than to some guy in the city working doing zoning reviews who, who, who didn't go to planning school, didn't go to architecture school. He sort of just came in, he got a job from the, at the city and was sort of trained as to like what to look through in this checklist, but isn't able to sort of think critically and assess each situation. So why, why are we not, I mean, this is just a, a one-off idea concept, but like why are they not sort of outsourcing a lot more of this stuff to 
to local planners, architects, you know, around the city to do stuff like zoning reviews or community adjustment reviews, or, you know, why are they not bringing in and having more, I don't know. Now with the digital age and now with the virtual community adjustment, you know, that's actually another thing that they've implemented because of COVID that was, that was that good or bad. Uh, it, it, unbelievable. Um, first of all, we're getting two hearings a week instead of one hearing a week. So it's cut down the time in half. So instead of me waiting five months for a committee adjustment hearing, I can now get one in two and a half months, which is amazing. And the fact that like, I don't have to take off an entire day and go sit there for five or six hours and wait, you know, until the, I'm the last one on the list. And then I go present and that's a, a, a cost to my clients. B it's a, it's sort of a pain in the ass for me to sit there all day. Whereas I can just sit here in my office. I'm working away. I've got the committee adjustment hearing on to the side. When they call my name, I go, I present, it's good to go. I don't have to leave my office. It's, it's, you know, so that was, you know, that took COVID like, thank God for, thank God for COVID to sort of implement that because committee of adjustment was like, has always been the bane of everybody's existence. It's been a total nightmare for the last 15 years that I've been doing it. So, you know, this was, this, it, you know, it opens the doors now for the neighbors, right? Because some of the neighbors don't want to have these like outlandish complaints in public face to face, but now yeah. the crazies get to show up because they're just online at their computer and they just yeah. well, all sorts of, it didn't really nonsense. stop the crazies it. before. It did in the sense that like before the most that they would do was just sort of like, maybe they would send in a letter of opposition, but they, you know, for them to show up and, and complain was like, I'm not, I wouldn't say rare, but it's like, you know, it's definitely opened up the crazies to, to now show up. Right. So like the last one I just did, for example, was, you know, we had 13 letters of opposition. Um, we destroyed the, the committee of adjustment. No problem. We got unanimous four hands up the committee. Um, this but, is on a house. This is on a house, yeah. So, but just but just the fact that you're right, right? It, it, like for them to just switch on the floor. computer and show up. Third like, floor. What is this? It's like, what it is, didn't it didn't? What are you proposing there that everybody is so against it? You know what we're proposing that everybody's so against it? It's at it's at Young and Eglinton, which just happens to be so. You know, you go north of Eglinton on Young. Um, I won't say the street name, but whatever. But it's just. Uh, you know, and I hate I hate the word nimbyism, but it's literally what it was, right? I mean, the original what are the they original proposing? design called nothing. It's a simple two-story rear addition off the back of of a beautiful a beautiful existing Victorian hundred-year-old Victorian home, right? So, I mean, most of the people didn't even understand the drawings, and under, they were complaining that they, you know, we think the design is horrible and it doesn't. And, you know, the, the, the whole front facade's horrible and it doesn't meet with the nature of the street and that same old song and dance and. I just sort of go out and explain, you know, we're not tearing the house down, right? You know, we're keeping the entire whole front part of the house. It's a beautiful hundred year old Victorian facade that we're keeping. So yeah, but I don't like out. it. I don't want well, it here. Yeah, so whereas in the past, you know, people for them to take off work or do whatever and show up at a committee of adjustment hearing, it's, it's hard. Right. But now it's like almost every one of them showed up. Uh, I mean, but that's why we won unanimously, right? Because they're arguing things that they don't understand that they're arguing things that have nothing to do with variance, right? Like you can't argue what it looks like. You can't argue the paint and color and the color of the brick and blah, 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 right? So, um, but that being said, we're now taking, we're now being taken to T-Lab, right? Because it's just so much more, it's so much of an easier process now. Like you just, you submit your $300, you go to T-Lab, everything's online, everything's virtual, everything's this and that, right? So, 
you know, like with anything, uh, you know, technology is, is just always ends up being a double-edged sword. Um, so no matter how you how push it. All right. Well, what I'm hearing here beneath the surface of all this nonsense is, is that I think what I'm hearing, I think the, the main point here is that we need more robots stat. Yeah. Exosuits, Russian robots. We need robots and drones, and uh, some standardization wouldn't hurt. Yeah, so basically. And it's all the government's fault, right? We're all in agreement. Yeah, yeah. So, as your expert, my answer to your question is more robots, um, less government, and um, More more robots. Yeah. <laughs> the top three answers on the board. Let's let's get a little shameless plug here, uh, Ben. What's uh, what's your website, company name, all that stuff? Project Studio Architects. So we are project with a K. So our website is p r o j e k t dash s dot com. And uh, yeah, we're sort of a we're 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 a, a boutique architecture firm. So we're working on everything from single family to mid-rise mid-rise stuff and some master planning stuff uh, but then we're also doing you know commercial and uh institutional commercial work um so yeah sort of uh, you know a, a boutique a boutique approach um and that's that's what we're doing go check us out and uh and yeah i mean hopefully in this next week we're going to be doing a soft launch for our laneway house initiative that we think is um it's really for the every man you know again i'm finding that a lot of these laneway houses that are actually going through and being built and a lot of the ones you're seeing on blog tos and and the globe and mail and out there they're all they're beautiful they're all these beautiful architectural gems and they're amazing buildings and they're amazing one-off beautiful architectural projects and they're all coming in at five six hundred thousand dollars and they're all for the guy who has an extra five or six hundred thousand dollars to drop, and you know, um, but there's just a much bigger market out there for the person who has no money extra in their pocket, but understands that like I could, I could go borrow money for the bank, and 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 if I could get one for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, that's an amazing investment, right? Whether it's for our own personal home office or gym, or for an income property, so that's what we're going to be pushing in the next little bit. Nice. Yeah, gym and home office. Imagine that. What yeah. like what a luxury laneway suite that would be. You have this little gym outside. Do whatever you need. Offices on top. You don't even have to leave your property ever again. Drones are dropping off your groceries. <laughs> like yeah. that is an amazing lifestyle. Holy That's smokes! It. Robots, robots, robots. Yeah. And and, and it. soon it'll be built by a three D printer. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That- well, Mr. Ben, nice meeting yes, you. Sir. Yes, yes, nice meeting you too. We should, we should, uh, we should form a band sometime or something. You look like you would be a good bass player. Yeah, that's a His good hair idea. Is a little bit shorter I look, now. I, okay. I had short hair when we were in the band, for parts of it. I had hair. I had hair. And Ben had hair, more hair on his head than on his face back then. That's right. I tried back to find that. I tried to find some old pictures. I don't know where the hell they went. You should have posted them for uh, on this on this website. They're gonna they're gonna be the thumbnail. The video after. They're gonna be the thumbnail. I'll see if I can add them in at in post. <laughs> Is that how you say it? Yeah. I've got some old shaggy group dog uh, pics. I'll send you. Well, that's what I'm looking for. 
Anyways, I've got, I've got a couple on, on like my Facebook page or something. So. I know I have them somewhere, but yeah, send them to me. I'll, I'll throw them in there. Okay. All right, boy. Well, Josh. Boris, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for being thanks, here. Uh, yeah. Talk to you later. All right. New on CuriosityStream, grab your decoder ring. We're cracking the world's most famous encryptions. From the mom who took down the mob to the Zodiac Killer. See how the pros hide their secrets in plain sight on Cracking the Code. Plus, it was impossible to recruit intelligence agents without recruiting war criminals. Meet the retirees of the Third Reich who gathered Cold War intelligence for the U.S. on Nazis and the CIA. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.